Good morning, friends. Good morning, everybody. Hey, Lou, how are you? We're doing very well today. How about you? Good. How was your Thanksgiving? Oh, it was excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I had a really good, good. time. Yes. Yeah. Yours? Yeah. Me, uh, same here. Yeah. Same here. Some colds here and there with the grandchildren, but otherwise good. Yeah, and snow. We've got snow, which is a problem. Yeah. But <laughs> which is pretty. It's nice. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. All right. So today, friends, we're going to be talking about uh, verses uh, 26 through 30. We did up to 25, I think, the last time. Yes. And today's session number 20. So just to recap, verses 11 through 30 of chapter 2 are known as Sankhya. And this offers us a knowledge of the self, of our Atman. Because a lot of people don't know what Atman is. Right. And for those of you who are joining us just now for the first time, maybe it's a good idea to go back and look at some of the other basics. But in brief, the Atman is what enlivens us. It what gives us life. It's the electricity that goes into a bulb and makes that bulb come about. So Atman is all around us. It's not the larger Atman all around everywhere that goes into every living thing is known as Brahman. The part that goes within us is colloquially known as Atman. And it's indestructible, never gets destroyed, is never born, never dies. And it's the nature of the Atman within us and its qualities that are talked about in verses 11 through 30. And that's important. As I was writing the summary for these, uh, going through the, the, that series of podcasts, which you can find on Apple Podcasts and on Google Podcasts and everywhere else, Spotify, where you find your podcasts, or here on the Facebook page. When I wrote it, I thought it was interesting to understand these, uh, understand these principles because the Atman is so different from us. We live, from a, we live looking out a certain window. You know, where we deal with time and we deal with things ending and beginning, and the Atman is so different from us, we need to take some time to wrap our mind around it. It's And, and we're going to be talking about that, if not in this session, the next session, Lou. I think you will find that of great interest um, because it's very interesting to talk about it. And the person who apparently wrote this is Sage Vyasa, wrote it thousands of years ago. He actually wrote the four Vedas, the Upanishads, mm -hmm. and then revised it by writing a simpler version called the Gita because he found that the Upanishads were too difficult for a lot of people to understand. And in that, uh, he talks about the Atman and how it really works. So it's very important for us to know about it. So verse 31 to verse 37 is more worldly. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really called Yoga Buddhi, which is the intellect, the knowledge of yoga. Yoga doesn't mean what you do in these yoga studios, right. sit down and cross your legs. <laughs> yoga means joining together. So joining together of us with our Atman is really what yoga is. And the yoga that people go for, the physical yoga, was meant as a way of being able to sit for long periods of time and meditate without saying this part is hurting and that part is hurting and this is itching. So that's why yoga was oh, there. I but see. this yeah. yoga is yoga buddhi, which is the intelligence, which is an attitude which will lead us towards self-realization. It's meant to tune your mind, just like yoga, physical yoga, hatha yoga, is meant to tune your body. Verses 38 to 53 are how to go by doing karma, which is uh, karma is 
an action, a duty that we do with our body, karma yoga, to get to self-realization, 38 to 53. And then 53 onwards, friends, we're going to be talking about once you get to be self-realized, once you get to become the Atman, then what are you like? I mean, there are people walking around maybe in the Himalayas or some parts <laughs> of uh, the world that are self-realized. How do you know that this person is self-realized? Buddha, if you ran across him on the street, there's a TV program, right, called uh, something like that. Uh, Buddha or Jesus Christ or any self-realized human being, after he became self-realized, how do you recognize him when you see him on the street? Uh, does he look different? What, how does he walk? How does he sit? How does he talk? That's what's going to come after verse 53. So today we're going to be talking about chapter 2, verse 26 onwards. And verse 26, I'm going a little faster today, Lou, because <clears throat> I want to cover at least two or three different things. Yep. So verse 26 is, but if you think that this, with a capital T, the Atman, is as constantly being born and constantly dying, even then you should not grieve like this, is what Krishna says to Arjuna. Hmm. So don't forget, Krishna is the charioteer for Arjuna, right. who is gone into the war as one of the greatest warriors that ever lived to that point. Has no fear of dying or being hurt because he's fought in many battles before. And his cousins are ruling this country with great immorality and causing really great difficulty to the population. And this kingdom is rightfully belonging to Arjuna and his brothers, but the cousins took it away by cheating in gambling and won the kingdom. And they said, okay, if you go to the woods and forests and cannot be found for 14 years, then you can have it back. After 14 years, when they said, okay, we are back now, we didn't, you didn't find us, they said, sorry, you're not getting it. <laughs> and so a lot of unethical, immoral right. things. And Arjuna practiced and planned this war for 14 years, goes into the middle of the battle and says, I can't do this. Yep. Not because I'm afraid, but because he says, these are my relatives that I will be killing. And Krishna basically is telling him that, Killing a body doesn't mean killing a person. Uh, killing a body essentially just gets rid of the body. The Atman lives on forever and ever. Right. This is basically an introduction, because a lot of people have a problem with this. A lot of people say, well, your Krishna is telling people to kill. And it's, it's different, and we'll see that in the next session or the session after that, that everybody has a duty to do, including soldiers. And you don't want to become a soldier, that's fine. But once you become a soldier, if you're on the battlefront for a righteous war that you're fighting against somebody that needs to be fought against, you can't back out at that time. Right. So that's what he's talking about. He's saying, you know, even if the, you believe that people die and don't come back, you still need to fight this war. It's a righteous war. So the other part of this, as I said, it's like an onion. The Gita has every shloka, every verse has more than one meaning. So it talks about when a person dies, the mind and intellect still survive. So this is a difficult concept to understand. But if you can get your mind around this, basically it means that the body dies, just like you take your clothes off and shed them right. and you wear new clothes. The mind and intellect 
is still alive after a person dies. The body is dead, the mind and intellect survives, and then sort of goes into the Brahman waiting for an opportunity to be born again. And when it takes another body, that mind and intellect comes back. What does it come back with? It comes back with two things. Number one, the vasanas it comes back with, which are the desires that it has unfulfilled within itself from this life and all previous lives. So it brings all that baggage with it and all the experiences that it has had in all the previous lives and this life. So it comes back to life mm -hmm. with all the impressions with it has gathered. So that's its personality. So what type of thoughts, what type of feelings you have during this lifetime and previous lifetime determines what personality that, uh, that person has. And that personality never dies. It just creates another body. So you'll see as we go on that how, how this Atman, this, sorry, this mind and intellect, the subtle body, then picks another a family to be born in and what that body and the new body represents and what the personality comes out. So, but in brief, if it's born in another family, it may have the genetic qualities of the facial and other qualities of this family that it was born to. So the body is there, right. but the mind and intellect comes from before, not necessarily related to the mother and father that it was born to. So an example would be, a builder building a house, right. and the house is erect, so that's the body. But the home doesn't get set up until the new owners move in. And then the home is set up by the new homeowners. Oh, yeah. They decorate it, right. they put pictures on the wall, they put furnishings, and the whole home gets different. And they bring stuff from the previous house. They bring stuff from the previous house. It's a very good uh, point. They bring stuff that they've accumulated over their previous homes and stuff like that. They bring it into this home, and they, that's their new home now. So we bring stuff into our lives. And the, the nose of the child may look like his father's nose. His eyes may look like his mother's eyes. Right. But the personality, you'll see between even twins, gets different as uh, they start to show itself. Anyone who so, has more than one kid knows that. <laughs> they come yes, with different personalities, yes. yeah. Yes, and their vasanas are different. One kid has a vasana towards food and just cannot get his desires for sweets past him. The other kid says, I don't really care about uh, food as much, but he's crazy about power, wanting to be number one, be famous, etc. An analogy that I heard was that it's like an SMS card, or a, sorry, SIM card oh, yeah. that you yep. put into a phone. Oh, yeah. So good analogy, when you, yeah. yeah, when you put that as SIM card into the phone, all the phone calls that you got, all the WhatsApp messages, all the emails, everything is on that SIM card. You take it out of this phone and you put it into another phone. It carries it with it. The phone itself is different. Yeah. iPhone 5 versus iPhone 10. But the SIM card, if that does take a SIM card, yeah. is carries everything from before. And our mind and intellect carries our personalities from before. Now, in addition to vasanas, which are the desires, it carries karmas. So this is an added concept I'm adding now. So the karma relates, people think, well, I did something bad. Yeah. I, I, I uh, hurt somebody. I hurt somebody. 
Now, that is an action that I took that is going to cause me to have to repay. That comes to me. I, I owe a debt now. I did something. I need to pay that. Yeah. What goes around comes around. <laughs> That's the Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so people often think that it's the body that does this. So I actually did it, and therefore I need to pay it. I thought it. I didn't do it. Yeah. That's still a karma. Mm. Actually, the karma applies to the mind and the intellect, not to the body. So even if so, you don't follow through. Even if you don't follow through, yeah. you think the thought and say, I want to do this. I want to do this. Now, oftentimes psychiatrists say, it's just a thought. Don't worry about it. Just It's just a fantasy. Do it in your mind. <laughs> just don't put it into action. Right. It's a wrong, according to this concept, it's a wrong philosophy. Because the more you play it in your mind, yes. the more that is being grained into your mind and intellect as actually having been done. And when you come back to life the next time, you've got to pay that price. So that's known as karma phala, means the fruit of uh, the phal means yep. fruit. Karma phala means the fruit of your karma. It accrues to the mind and intellect, not to the body. So the personality functions of the self doesn't die because the jiva atma, which is the atma which is, goes along with the life force, uh, uh, keeps coming back with this. And the mind and intellect keep passing from one experience to the next. So what he's saying in this verse 26 is don't grieve. Even though, you know, uh, you die and you come back to birth, it's like a child right. who lets go of a balloon and the balloon bursts. Yep. He say, the child is crying, he's grieving. He said, listen, it's just a balloon. It bursts, don't worry, you get another balloon. So we as adults have to do this. Now, why Vyasa thought of this to go into it? I've often thought to say, what is the purpose? Why did Vyasa start with this as chapter one and chapter two about the Atman? Right. N number one, it's fairly deep, very deep, because it's hard to comprehend. Some right. parts get easier as you go on. Some so parts get more so, difficult. So different from our experience. Yeah. yeah. So you need to be, A, be impressed with what Vyasa or Krishna is talking about to say, wow, this guy really knows what he's talking about. That's one. The second is you need to understand the basics before you can go on to say, what is the Atman? What is the body? What is karma? What is uh, uh, karma phala and so on? So um, verse 27, if a person is born, that person's death is certain. Verse 27 goes on to say, if a person dies, his or her birth is certain. So that's fairly obvious. Most of us think, yep. well, you know, this guy is so great. Alexander from Greece, he's so great, he's never going to die. He dies. <laughs> you know, the most famous people die. The most powerful, strong people die. Guaranteed, nobody is spared death. Same thing if a person dies. We don't say, oh, well, you know, maybe he'll be born, maybe he won't be born. They're, unless he's self-realized at the time that he's gotten rid of all his vasanas, right. only then he doesn't need to come back to um, be born again. But everybody else dies, they're born. Where you get reborn depends on the law of karma. If you've done good things, you have a choice of picking. Hmm. Um, where you come back to birth. You can pick the family, pick the lifestyle that you're going to be leading, etc. But people often say, well, listen, how do I know that I get reborn? And one of the qualities is, you know, if, I, if I'm drunk in the morning, yes, right, if I've had too much to drink, I have a hangover, right. 
somebody says, hey, you had too much to drink last night, right? No question about it. I got a stomachache. I'm throwing up. I've got food poisoning. Right. You ate something last night at a party that you went to. You overate. No question about it. When you come back to this earth and you have certain attributes to you, we never think, well, where did this come from? Why don't we think, what did you do last night or in your previous life that caused this? Yeah. Same thing, cause and effect. Yeah. So you pay the price. When you reach self-realization, that's the only time that stops. You keeping track of time, um, yes. uh, Luke? We're about 15 okay. minutes in. Oh, good. So verse 28, beings, all beings, not just um, human beings. Beings are unmanifest in their origin. Beings are manifest in the middle and unmanifest at their end. Somebody wrote a poem. I don't know who, hmm. but uh, I think it was one of the Middle Eastern um, uh, poets, very famous. He said, life is like an arrow. It's flying through the night and coming through a campfire where you don't see it when it's flying through the dark sky. Oh, yeah. See it as it's flying through the light of the fire in the fireplace, in the campfire, and then again into the darkness. You don't see it when it goes past. Right. Life is like that. What the Gita says is that life, our being, is unmanifest. We don't see it. We see it. I'm alive right now. You see me. You hear right. me, etc. And then when I die, you don't see me again. The unmanifest portions apparently are much longer than the portion when I we are alive. And a lot of factors go into that, which I don't know about that well, but talks about how when we die, we have to sort of wait until we pick the right family to be born. And some are born right away, soon thereafter, and some were born much, much later. So when the child is born, Parents don't know where he was before that. I'm just saying he as a boy. Right. Parents made the body, but not the mind and intellect. The mind and intellect, as we were saying in verse 26, came with the personality from before. Um, the unmanifest period is much longer than the manifest period. And we analogize this to us going through a train on a journey. Mm -hmm. We're in the train, in this life in this world, and we're sitting there thinking, that's my journey at the end. Right. Nobody knows. You may buy a ticket to go to New York City, but you don't know where you're going to be forced to get off. Yep. So I don't know when I'm going to die and when I'm going to be made to get off this train. <laughs> During that time that I'm on the train, a lot of other passengers come in, sit down next to me. I say hello. I get to know them. I get to be friendly with them. I don't know when they're going to get off. Right. And I can't prevent it. I cannot prevent them from getting off the train. They can't prevent me from getting off the train. The thing is to get to know them, get along well with them, and get. but we may choose to be with them in future lives. We may get to see them, but at the time that they're in the train with us, we have no idea when we're going to get off and, or they're going to get off. So verse 29, we've got two more verses. I'm going to try and do this quickly. The Atma is a wonder. Nobody knows the Atma. The Atma is unknowable. It's the knower is the Atma. You cannot know the Atma. Um, it is, nobody knows it, but you can only be in wonderment of the Atma. 
This verse, verse 29, is taken from the Katho Upanishad. The Upanishads were the ones that Veda, uh, Lord Vyasa wrote. And they were very dense, hard to understand. Hmm. This is chapter 1 of the Katho Upanishad, section 2, verse 7, in which he basically says that a very rare few follow the path of enlightenment. Most know religion or spirituality. They know how to go to a temple or church and follow that, those rituals. Right. But they don't follow this. The mind and intellect, the intellect is constantly giving a commentary on everything. Yeah. It just doesn't shut up, right? The mind and the intellect always comments, oh, this one got up, this one's doing that, that one's doing that. It just keeps talking and in itself, into your mind. Oh, God, yeah, this I know that. <laughs> cha this chatter, remember I was talking about yes. the noise in our head that our mind, we need to make it quiet? It comes from the mind and the intellect, the constant chatter, chatter, chatter. In order to meditate, in order to reach self-realization, you've got to be able to keep your mind and intellect quiet. How do you do that? When we reach the chapter on meditation, you'll see that it talks about saying a mantra, saying something and then being quiet for a short period of time mm -hmm. and then saying something again and being quiet. What happens is the mind and intellect focus on the mantra as you're saying it. And then when you're quiet, it sort of gets baffled, gets surprised to say, what happened? Where's this? What's the silence? And the longer those silences occur, right. the longer that mind and intellect is trained to be quiet in order to reach self-realization. So, Verse 29 says that the Atman is a wonder. Nobody knows it. You can go to all the um, temples that you want, but only wonderment or ascharya makes the intellect be quiet. The Atman is not only unknown, it is unknowable. You cannot see it. Just like your whole life, you cannot see your face. Right yourself. Unless you use a camera or a mirror, you cannot see your face. We seek all kinds of things, but we cannot seek the Atman. We do not seek the Atman. Mm -hmm. Once you start seeking it, getting closer to it gives the greatest pleasure of all. So verse 30, it's the conclusion. And verse 11 to 30, as I said, the Gita speaks about the nature of the self within us. And in verse 30, it says, this indweller in the bodies of all of us is ever indestructible. Therefore, you should not grieve for any creature. So don't grieve because all you're grieving is the fact that this phone, iPhone 5, died. Yep. But the SIM card is still alive. You just take it out, put the iPhone 4 or 5 down, you buy iPhone 10 or 11, and you put it in there and you say, okay, my phone's alive again. Yep. So don't grieve for that creature is basically what this verse 30 is saying. And the Atman is the same in every living being. It talks about all beings, right? Do not grieve for any creature. Right. Not just talking about human beings, but also dogs, pets, whatever. It's the same. It appears different in different uh, beings, right? but it could be a mosquito and it's got the Atman inside it. it, could be an elephant or a hippopotamus or a human being. The Atman is the same and the same quantity in each living being. 
Which brings me to a question I had while we were talking about this. When you return, you lose your body, you, you discard your body and come back. Do you always come back in a human body? Very good question. Yeah. So a lot of that depends on vasanas, right? Mm -hmm. So generally they say that a human being doesn't downgrade. Right. Generally, you only go up. You go from a human being to another human being, hopefully a better human being, right. as you've done better things, and you keep rising up because ultimately your goal is to become self-realized. And after thousands of births, at some point you get tired of trying to fulfill your vasanas. Yeah. So you see people who get born who basically say, I had enough of this. I really want, from early childhood, they're playing the piano because they remembered from previous life. They're able to draw, they're able to do. I just saw something on a news channel where an eight-year-old child knows the Gita backwards and forwards. Oh, wow. And she said that she, you can ask her any shloka, any verse, and she'll tell you exactly word for word what it is and the meaning. Fascinating. And she said she knew this from the time she could speak. So these things are carried over. So generally, we try to go upwards. But if a man wants to live like an animal and his vasanas are animalistic, it is said, I don't know how far this is true. I don't know how far any of this is true. I can only say based on what I've heard right. that you could take on the birth of a lion if you want to just keep killing, killing, killing and a wild animal yeah. or, you know, those kind of things. So generally your rebirth is as a human being. Yeah, but that would be your choice as opposed to being assigned to a lion or to a dog or something like that. It depends on your karma, not your okay. choice. Oh, I see. Okay, yep. What you do, what you do and what your desires are as vasanas determine where you come back. Excellent. So, friends, that is up to verse uh, 30. And next time we'll uh, maybe do a little bit about the knowledge of the Atman and spirituality, where does it live? I mean, at some point we're going to get to what does an Atman, a self-realized person who becomes the Atman, what does he look like, what does he speak like, etc. But I want to talk to you a little bit about where is the Atman. You may say, is it in my head? Mm -hmm. Is it in my heart? Is it yeah. in my spinal cord? Where does it reside inside me? What does it look like? Does it look like a wisp of smoke? Does it look like a pool of water? What does it look like? So maybe we'll do that in our next session. Right. Thank you very much for being with us. Thanks, Lou.